Amen. Thank you, Lynn and Nathan, for that. That was beautiful. I uh, really appreciate you bringing us that word of encouragement that Jesus continues to lead us, and he's led us all the way, and he's going to continue to lead us till the end of our days here and then forevermore, just as we sang in 10,000 Reasons. Thanks again for joining us. It's been a wild day. All of our small groups uh, tried to get on their Zoom calls after our leaders had carefully uh, planned and prepared for their lessons. And of course, the entire Zoom network apparently was down. And so uh, people were trying to figure out what was wrong with their machine. It wasn't wrong with your, your computer's fine, your phone, your iPad, whatever's fine. It's a, a problem with Zoom. So hopefully we'll get that straightened out before our deacons meeting tonight. I also want to invite you, if you're a member of Woodmont Baptist Church, to join us at 6 p.m. this Wednesday night for a church-wide business meeting for all of our members. Uh, we have some uh, business to discuss, and we invite every member to join us. If you need that link, email Andy, uh, andym at woodmontbaptist.com, and he can send you the link for our church members. We're going to continue to walk through the book of Acts today, and you know, this is kind of a weird thing, uh, sitting in an empty sanctuary and just talking to my buddy Jeff back there running the camera and uh, my buddy Will up here who's running the slides. And, uh, but we really believe that when God's word goes forth, that it accomplishes what it sets out to do. Jeremiah 6 says that when God's word goes forth, it's powerful and effective and it does not return empty. So my prayer is that as we go through this passage of scripture from Acts chapter 3 today, that your heart will be transformed by an encounter with the living word of God. So I invite you to kind of take a look back. We've been talking about the unstoppable church and the narrative of how that church was born in the book of Acts and how they brought hope and healing to their neighbors and to the world. And I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged uh, when I'm worried about the church in these strange times. I've, I've been greatly encouraged by looking at this beautiful church First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. You know they're Baptist, of course, right? Because Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. So clearly they're Baptist. And uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, the church was born when the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost and rushed into the hearts of all who were believers at that time. And tongues of fire fell on, on their heads and they began to proclaim the greatness of God in a multitude of languages. And uh, at that time, the, the body of Christ became a group of people, a, a, a body of believers, a family of faith known as the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people as a new covenant body. And from that point on, uh, until Jesus returns, we are the body of Christ on earth, here to be his hands and feet in a world that desperately needs him. One of the great things about Acts is that it's a narrative. It's one big kind of running story. So uh, each week we get to see what happens next. So let me give you the uh, previously in the book of Acts. We saw last week how this spirit-filled, spirit-led church was just humming along beautifully. That after Peter stood up and gave his uh, big sermon at Pentecost, that God blessed this new body of believers and they were baptizing they were teaching God's word every day. They were worshiping constantly in the temple and in their homes. They were fellowshipping through sacrificial giving to one another and to those who were in need. And they were evangelizing. We're told that the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. 
The book of Acts could have ended right there. That would have been a cool story about this happy church. But here's the thing. The church has never existed for itself. There's a whole mission, a global emphasis that the church is meant to go out and do. That's the same for us and any other church. It's easy to get comfortable here when things are going well. But we have two great commandments and a great commission from our Lord and Savior. So it's time to get going and get to work here. That's exactly what we see happen here in the first part of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. As Peter and John, pillars of the church as they're known, they encounter a, a beggar who has never been able to walk in his entire life. Let's look together at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Luke uh, gives us the setting here in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The, the new covenant believers were still worshiping in the temple, but they viewed the old covenant now as fulfilled by Jesus and, and that it was all making sense now because the Messiah had come. And so they were still going to the temple. And the ninth hour is interesting because that's the same hour that Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. So now these new believers who are in the temple are remembering that their Savior died right at that exact time as they are worshiping him in the temple grounds. There's a large crowd that's gathered there for the afternoon prayers, and Peter and John noticed this guy laying outside the gate. Look at verse 2. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So this, you know, I think that God does this in my life and in your life too. He providentially puts people in our daily path that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis in order for us to minister to them and meet their needs. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 10 says that God has prepared good works in advance before us that we should walk in them, that we should live into them on a daily basis. But here's the thing. I think we often miss those good works that God has prepared for us to do. I don't know about you, but I get so busy, I get so stressed and distracted, uh, sometimes by good things, sometimes by bad things, by my own sin, my own pride, my anger, whatever it is that I'm dealing with. Th those things cause me to overlook the good works that God has set up in my own life and in my path. You know, Peter doesn't do that. What's What's the first step in playing our part in these good works that God has set up for us? Well, look at verse 4. The, the first step is we have to see them. Go to verse 4, please. Peter directed his gaze at him. He doesn't turn away from this guy, but he looks right at this beggar, as did John, and said, look at us. Keep going. And he, keep going. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So this beggar looks at them as they look at him and notice. How many times do we simply overlook people, especially needy people that you know are going to take your time, they're going to take some kind of giving on your part? It's so easy to overlook those people, but Peter and John fix their gaze on him, and he looks at them. He knows there's something different about Peter and John. They have this inner joy. They look like loving people, and he probably thought, hey, I'm probably going to get a good you know, chunk of change from these guys, but what they end up giving him is so much more than any 
amount of money. It's so much more than he could even have ever asked or imagined. Look at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Keep going. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look what happens, verse 7. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. You know, I love how Dr. Luke wants us to get the full weight of what's happening here. He tells us that this miracle was happening in the ankle bones and in the, the shins and in the, the, the Achilles uh, tendon and in the foot bones and the phalanges are, are growing muscles and tendons that have never been used ever in the history of this guy's life. It's an amazing miracle. And I, I love how this, this formerly crippled man doesn't budge when Peter says, rise up and walk. Because Peter has to put his hand out and is like, for real, I'm serious. Stand up. You're healed. You are, are given mobility now. Do it. Here, let me, let me help you. And Peter is so confident that the miracle has actually happened that he pulls him up knowing that he's going to be able to stand on his own two feet for the first time in his life. And I love how verse 8 says that he began to walk. Look at, look at verse 8. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It reminds me of like a baby deer or like a baby horse, you know, when they take those first few steps, they're real tentative, but then once they figure it out, they start running and they start leaping and they just love that feeling of being able to walk for the first time. That's how this man feels here. And he causes a scene in the sacred space of the temple. He probably resembled something like my own wild children when they run and jump through these aisles and we have to constantly get onto them. Don't stand on the pews and those kinds of things. They, he probably resembled that kind of picture more than like our dignified deacons and leaders in our church uh, as, as they come into church. He, they, he was making a scene and it was awesome. It was an awesome scene. It was a joyful scene. He's hopping around the temple and, and giving thanks, shouting out, hallelujah, praise God for what he has done in my life. He's changed my life. Tears of joy are streaming down his face. It's a beautiful scene of what happens when supernatural healing comes to a person. And of course, that beautiful scene attracted a crowd. Look at verse nine. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. So they, they know it's this guy. They've seen him their whole lives. He's been there carried to the gate. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You know, the good works that God has prepared for us to do result in a public proclamation of God's goodness. You see uh, Matthew 5, 16 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The, the point of all this isn't just so that Peter and John would get the attention, but that God would. The healing of a crippled man served as a witness. That's a key word in the book of Acts. The healing of this guy results in a witness to the greatness of God and to God's goodness and God's power. What a powerful 
picture of a spirit-filled church being the hands and feet of Christ in the world. They're doing what God has made it to do. And it's not about being the, the flashiest church with the newest technology or the best music or the, the best social media presence or all these things that I'm spinning my wheels and I know our staff feels pressure to do, but it's, it's not about any of that stuff. It's about being full of the Holy Spirit. It's about having the power of Jesus Christ in our community and in our body, ready to go forth with that power and change our neighborhood and the world. I love verse six, where Peter tells the lame man, look, I, I got nothing, I got no silver and gold. I'm sure the man was dejected, but Peter says, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You know, we may not have a lot of influence, may not have a lot of wealth in, in the world's eyes, but what we do have is better than any of that stuff. We can only give what we ourselves have. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have the same power that Jesus Christ had in him, the power of the Holy Spirit in you. God, the Spirit living in you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Second Peter 1.4 says that if, if you are in Christ, then you are a partaker of the divine nature. I love that. You're a partaker of the divine nature, the same nature that Christ partook in, we now get to partake in. That's a big deal. But so often we only think in these worldly terms of budgets and attendance numbers and, and like I said, social media and, and how we look on the outside and all these, these kind of worldly things about our building. And, and we know that those things are so distracting from the true mission of God. There's a, a famous story from church history from the 13th century where Thomas Aquinas, the, the father of scholasticism, this great theologian and philosopher, uh, is called to Rome and he shows up in, in the Vatican and Pope Innocent II is, is sitting there counting this enormous sum of money that has recently been added to the coffers and he looks at Thomas Aquinas and says, see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver or gold have I none. And Thomas looks at him and says, true, Holy Father, but neither can she say, rise and walk. Has the church lost that power because we've become so focused on worldly things? I pray that's not the case, but I fear too often it is. What can Woodmont Baptist offer to our neighbors and to the world? Some cool videos. Andy got a new camera I'm excited about. We got a video guy who's amazing, Andy. And we got this, you know, great sound guy and new music guy doing great. People like Nathan and Lynn who can do all kinds of musical things. Is that what we offer? Is that all we offer? Those things are important and they're cool, but is that what we're really here for? What does it mean to give what Jesus gave to the world? The spirit-filled church has so much more than cool videos to give to the world. Let me briefly give you three things that the spirit-filled church gives that we see. First, it gives healing. It gives supernatural healing that's unexplainable. Every week, I pray here for physical healing for in someone's life. We've seen evidence of that this past week as Randy Perkins went in for a scan and, and his body showed zero signs of any cancer in his body. Praise God for that. Our church's vision is to bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. 
what kind of healing, not just physical healing, but emotional healing. As, as Trey mentioned in his announcements today, so many people are wrestling with anxiety during this time. Anxiety, I've talked to people who are really, uh, their anxiety is just so much heightened by this pandemic that it's crippling. We know that depression is, is paralyzing uh, to so many people. One out of every two American adults will deal with clinical, chemical, emotional depression at some point in their lives. And, and we know that there are people who are grieving the loss of loved ones who don't have the emotional resources to cope with what they're walking through right now. And that's where our church steps in and, and offers healing emotionally for people who are struggling in these areas. We offer community a safe place to talk about what you're going through. We have, I have a whole drawer full of licensed uh, clinici clinicians and therapists and counselors that I can refer you to if you need a reference. We know that Grief Share has stepped in to where a lot of people are grieving uh, the loss of a loved one and they're helping them have those resources that they need to walk through the season of grief. We know that uh, Celebrate Recovery meets every Monday night. I think they had 30 last Monday on their Zoom call as they walk with people who are dealing with their hurts and habits and hangups every week. You know, the thousands of cars that drive by our church every day, I hear somewhere between 30 and 50,000 cars, not these days, but normally when we're not in a pandemic, um, I wonder how many of them need, need spiritual healing as well. I know so many in our community who are lost and searching and they don't even realize it sometimes. And others are desperate for spiritual healing that can only be filled by Jesus Christ in their hearts. The second uh, thing that the, the Spirit-filled church gives is joy. The, the crippled man discovered a, a newfound joy that surpassed any earthly treasure. His life had been a miserable existence up until this point. He was not capable of, of moving anywhere on his own. He was carried. He was utterly dependent on others for his daily sustenance. And, and now he's free to run around the temple and shout hallelujah, praise God. And he leapt with joy. He was ecstatic. He received beauty for ashes, life for death. He received joy for lameness. But too often, I think people who claim to be Christians are some of the most sad-faced, sour-faced people that I've ever met in my life. Uh, the humorist Irma Bombeck, some of y'all remember uh, her columns. I, I read one that she wrote about an experience in the Episcopal church that she was in. I shouldn't have said what denomination, but she said it. Uh, a little girl sitting in front of her turned around and just smiled. She was beaming. She wasn't making any noise. She was just smiling. And her mom saw her grinning, and she gave her a smack and said, turn around, quit grinning, this is church. And the girl frowned, and her mom said, that's more like it. I think, unfortunately, uh, Irma Bombeck's right. She says that a lot of times people who come to church resemble someone whose wealthy aunt has just died and left everything to her pet hamster. I think that's true in a lot of our churches. If anyone has a reason to be joyful, it's Christians. We've literally gone from death to life. We literally have been given a new existence, a whole new kind of, of way to live in this life and the next. We have abundant life, life to the fullest. When our enemy came to kill and steal and destroy, our Savior came to give us full life. If anyone has a reason to smile, it's us. Sin and death have been defeated forever. 
and we're going to live and reign with our Savior eternally. Finally, the third thing the Spirit-filled church gives is wonder. We saw how the crowds were in awe at what they were seeing, all those temple worshipers who'd been going up to the temple courts day after day and in that sad routine of ritual kind of going through the motions, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. When true supernatural healing comes, uh, when it happens in our world and joy is spreading in place of bored routines, then people are in awe. They're struck with wonder. They notice these things. How could this be happening, they say? What's going on? What, how could these people have their lives totally changed and transformed? What is it that, that makes them hopeful in the midst of a pandemic? Chains are, are literally being broken. Lives are being healed. How does that happen? It's absolutely amazing and awesome in the true sense of the word when these things happen and the world takes notice when they do and they watch and wonder. All right, so we've looked at what the Spirit gives. Let's now go to how does the Spirit give these things? How does the Spirit-filled church give these things to the world? You know, a lot of times when signs and wonders and, and good things are happening in churches, people often make the mistake of focusing on Christ's followers instead of on Christ himself. So Peter and John are quick to address this problem in verse 12. When Peter saw it, that the wonder of the people, he addressed the, the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Why do you stare at us? Peter says, you know, we haven't done anything. It's so tempting for me as a pastor when things are going good at the church to say, man, I'm doing a great job. <laughs> our staff, our staff's amazing, aren't they? It's easy to say our, our deacon, our deacon chair, you know, they're amazing. But the thing is that Christ is infinitely more amazing than any person who ever lived, Billy Graham or, or anyone who's an amazing pastor or church leader. Christ and his ability is the only thing that makes our church accomplish anything good. Anytime that we're able to do something good, it doesn't happen because of us, but in spite of us in our clumsy, sinful ways. It happens because the power of Jesus Christ is in us, and that's where all the credit should go. It's all by God's grace and for his glory. It's so tempting, again, to claim that power for ourselves, but uh, we, we need to look to our eternal King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's the one who provides all this. So Peter goes on to talk about Jesus of Nazareth in, in verse 13 and following. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the true God, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Jesus is the Messiah, the true suffering servant who has been sent to earth to rescue God's children and make this world new again. But these people are the ones who rejected him as king when, when Pilate presented Jesus to the crowd and, and said, behold your king. They said, we have no king but Caesar. And they chose Barabbas over Jesus. Look at verse 14. You denied the holy and righteous one. Those are messianic terms from the Old Testament. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life 
whom God raised from the dead. To this we're witnesses. We were standing right there. We saw it happen. But here's his key point in verse 16. Here's the theme. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect help in the presence of you all. It's all about Jesus. He points to Jesus, not himself. It's important to see that it's nothing that we have in and of ourselves. So again, you see this perfect, beautiful picture of healing. It's all because of Jesus Christ's name, which is powerful indeed. The name of Christ represents all that he is, his nature, his power, his essence, his love. And it sounds like Peter was being harsh in those previous verses, like you killed this guy, but just read on. He wasn't finished. He speaks with great compassion. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Messiah, his Christ, would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's shared the gospel, and now he calls lovingly, graciously, for a decision to be made, a decision to repent. You know, repent and turn back to the one true God, the God of your ancestors. Turn back to him, the same God that you've been running away from for so long now, spinning your wheels with ritual religion. What happens when we repent? Well, this text shows us three things happen, three good things when we repent. First is the forgiveness of sin. Look at verse 19 again. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. How can they be blotted out? Because the blood of Christ has paid the debt that our sins owed. That's the first good thing that happens when we repent. That means that we go from condemnation to justification. We go from a death sentence to eternal life in that moment. Then look at verse 20. We repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, the, the renewal of our heart in a, a literal renewing of our spirit and of our soul and ultimately a renewal of the world around us. When we repent, it, it refreshes our homes, our work, our daily lives are refreshed through the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. Then third, at the end of verse 20, it says that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, then verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repentance leads to this eternal hope Repentance leads to that hope that we can rest assured that although this world is broken, one day it will be restored back unto its perfect creator. Go back to those three things, Will, that show what happens through repentance. Forgiveness of sin, and then after that we have, keep going, Will, point two, buddy. Times of refreshing, and then point three, restoration of all things. The hope that we have through the restoration that Christ is coming back to finish the work of redemption that he began 2,000 years ago. We do live in a fallen world. We know that. There's injustice. There's poverty all around us. There are people who are sick and lonely and hurting all around us. But that's not the end of the story. 
we know that the, the restoration of all things is coming through Jesus Christ who will break back into our world and say, enough. I'm here to make all things new once and for all. And that's, that whole plan of redemption, the centerpiece of that plan is Jesus. Look at these last few verses in verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 18. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and those who came after him and also proclaim these days, the messianic age. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring, singular offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. One of my favorite verses, Genesis 12, 3. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That is a picture of repentance, turning from your wickedness and back to God. So to wrap it up here, two key questions that we have today. What do we have to give to the world? We can't give anything that we ourselves don't already possess first. Then two, how do we give these things to the world? We know that we see here in this passage that the church, the new covenant, born again, body of believers, family of faith, has supernatural healing, abiding joy, and authentic wonder to give to a world that desperately needs all three of those things. And then second, how do we give those things? It's only by the power of Jesus Christ's name. It's only by knowing him as Lord and Savior. The only way we can give those things, the only reason we have those things is because Jesus has enabled us through his living power. So once again, we, we understand those two questions. What do we have to give and how do we give them? Now we're left with a decision. Whether you know Christ already as Lord or not, maybe you, you, you know him and you've turned away from him. Will you now repent or not? Will you turn back to him and away from your wickedness in order to be filled with his power that we may give the abiding joy that he brings, that we may bring the supernatural healing and the authentic wonder that he brings? Will we turn away from our sin and back to God? Maybe you've never done that for the first time. and Today, you know it's time for you to turn to him with all that you are and to turn away from your sin in order to be filled with the living presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in you. Then we'll be refreshed and we'll help usher in refreshing into our world around us as we play our part in God's plan to refresh the world and making it all new once again. Will we repent and rest easy in that confident knowledge that he's coming back again to finish what he started? Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it doesn't return empty. We thank you that you've shown us today what it is that we as Christians have to offer in this world. It's not flashy videos. It's not a TV service or a streaming service, God. It's, it's this incredible healing. It's this abounding joy and it's awesome wonder. God, I pray that we would be so filled with Christ that we would be able to give these things that have been given to us in Christ's name. 
God, I pray that you would turn our hearts back to you. Forgive us for turning to our own ways, for being bent in on ourselves, for navel-gazing as we forget how good and awesome you are. Remind us of your goodness today. We who have tasted and seen that you are good, oh God, may we once again return to you, the living God of all creation. God, I pray that you would be with us now as we uh, sing to you, that you would enter our praises and inhabit what we sing to you as we offer back to you a response of worship. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Whatever decision it is that you need to make today, maybe you need to repent for the first time. Maybe you need to repent for the millionth time. As we were talking about the words on the, 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 the screens today, I, I said, don't put, will you repent? Will we repent? Because I need to repent too every hour of every day. And if, if you are feeling that conviction for the first time today, call the church, 615-297-5303. Talk with someone right now about what it means to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. Fill out an online connection card and get involved in a small group. Uh, we had visitors planned to join today on Zoom. It didn't happen because of technology. But whatever it is that you need to do today, don't hesitate to repent now and turn back to the Lord as we sing a song of response to him.